0: Game Cool Books, Episode 71, A Superb Piece of Acting. Chapters 24 and 25 deal with Mrs. Coulter as their main character and present a sort of short story within the larger framework of the novel. 24, Mrs. Coulter in Geneva opens with a passage from Ezekiel, Chapter 16. As is the mother, so is the daughter, which is in the context of some prophecies dealing with Israel and uh, is probably much more complicated than uh, I can do justice to here, but the general context is decidedly negative, um, although I suppose ultimately comes from a place of deep and abiding love. The Comparison sets up uh, a thematic level on which we can read these chapters, comparing Mrs. Coulter and her daughter. And the style of the chapters parallels the two, making Mrs. Coulter the protagonist here, as Lyra is most often the main protagonist in the rest of the series. We have Mrs. Coulter abandoning the intention craft on landing uh, At a college in Geneva. So she is without a dust-driven device for a while, Um, and she is in a place very similar to the one where we find Lyra at the start of the series. We're told that Ms. Coulter has been to this place three times before, uh, and some of those might be fleshed out in other parts of the subsequent stories, uh, especially in the secret commonwealth. I I imagine we might find some accounts of what those times were. Um, I thought for a while that The Collectors, the short story that Pullman released as an audiobook first, uh, might deal with a visit to Geneva, but it seems like it doesn't. Um, Now, Mrs. Coulter landing on the roof, uh, searching for hiding places there should make us think back again to Lyra's escapades back in Jordan College. Um, The Chapel of the Holy Penitence uh, should probably make us recall the sorts of uh, important sounding names uh, that Pullman loves to give the different parts of the church in his world. And Though uh, Mrs. Coulter loves the intention craft, um, her love does not extend to a full understanding of how it works. She doesn't fully trust it. As a result, she doesn't know when it might run out of power. Um, we should, again, probably think of the alethiometer and its mysterious source of a seemingly infinite power to run. Um, Now, as she gets some help from her demon uh, to prise up the roof tiles and find a gap to get through, um, the uh, connection to her demon is wordless, and this will continue throughout these chapters. Um, I don't believe he speaks in the entire uh, short story here, although... um, their uh, understanding is uh, quite mutually beneficial, it seems. And that uh, brings us into the attic. Stuffed with furniture um, and locked uh, the door out, she manages to uh, pick with a hairpin. Um, So again, using the same elements that make up her glamour uh, to Aid her on her adventures. Um, this is a move that we never see Lyra actually perform. Um, in contrast to some of Pullman's other heroines, I think if, uh, Sally Lockhart, um, I'm almost sure that she must have picked some locks at some point with a hairpin. Or at any rate, the sorts of protagonists on which these characters are, are in some sense based. And coming through into a corridor, there is a dusty skylight up above. Um, So again, that echo of a possible answer in dust to Mrs. Coulter's question about how these devices are powered, it brings us then to uh, her arrival uh, to the college um, as far as the denizens there are concerned, is going to be orthodox, another very interesting word choice um, given what we're going to hear her uh, blaspheming very shortly. And also contrasted with how she intends to leave, that is presumably by escaping again with the intention craft. In confronting her captors, she immediately takes the upper hand by demanding courtesy. Um, She cows the man's pincher demon uh, with its tail stump, perhaps making us wonder about the physical attributes of demons. Um, And this is something we'll come back to again in La Belle Sauvage, seeing the deformed uh, hyena demon in that one. the uh, person who accompanies her into the center of power here is one brother, Louis, with a rabbit demon. Um, he has a very sonorous title, the convener of the secretariat. But in Mrs. Coulter's eyes, he is nothing but a scrivener. She demands to see the president. Of course, that means Father MacPhail. In his essay, writing fantasy realistically in the collection Demon Voices, Pullman calls Father MacPhail uh, the biggest mistake uh, of the entire series. He says there, I was wrong about the motivation of the President of the Consistorial Court of Discipline, Father MacPhail. In the book as it is now, he seems to be motivated mainly by the lust for power. I wish I'd seen, as I was writing it, that it would be much more effective if his motivation were love, that he does these terrible things out of sheer compassion. He's killing people in order to save their souls. If I'd written it like that, it would be easier to see that the struggle in the story is not one between good and evil, because that's easy. We all know whose side we're on. There's no doubt about it. We might as well be reading Tolkien. It's much more interesting because much more realistic, when there's a struggle between different goods, as I'm to say, but there we are. No literary work much longer than haiku is going to be entirely without faults. He compares himself in quick succession to uh, Tolkien, haiku writ large, and then uh, immediately thereafter, Middlemarch, the great novel, one of his favorites. Um, but I think it's rather important here that we get the most insight into Father MacPhail's character as written, uh, and uh, it comes from the perspective of Mrs. Coulter, another character who initially seems to be motivated by power, but uh, especially in this third book is, um, is shown to be motivated instead by love. Uh, that's the important sort of shift that we do get, uh, although Father MacPhail's character remains rather flat and, as Pullman says, uninteresting. Uh, So Father Louis gives up on trying to start a conversation with his guest. They are forced to interrupt the devotions of the powerful priest, who gives a wolfish smile when he sees her there. I think that's exactly what we're told Lord Asriel does upon seeing the child at his door at the end of the first book. He apologizes that his study is cold, their hospitality plain, but bids her come in. And Mrs. Coulter asks for a glass of Chocolato, that exotic drink that's always been associated with her from the very start. It's what she used to catch Tony Macarios when we were first meeting her without knowing who she was. She knows this is an insult to the servant, but she seems to believe that his abject manner deserves such treatment. Father MacPhail advises Mrs. Coulter that she is under arrest, and she reposts that she'd rather not spoil their talk. Uh, Her claim is that she's arrived voluntarily after escaping from Asriel and that she can give important information about his forces and about the child, as she calls Lyra. He would like to hear about the child first. Uh, She says that Lyra is now 12 and on the cusp of adolescence, that it's too late to prevent the fall, which is imminent, when nature and opportunity come together like spark and tinder. And she blames the church's intervention for making that increasingly likely. He, for his part, says it was her duty to bring the child to them rather than skulking in a mountain cave. And he insults her by calling it a mystery, how she thought she could stay hidden there. But She again turns his words back on him and says that to her uh, thinking, there are probably many mysteries about the relations between mother and child. And I think this is playing on the Christian mystery of the incarnation as well. Uh, But uh, she has more practical things in mind, as she spells out shortly here, that she would never bring her daughter to be in the care of men with feverish obsession with sex, furtive imaginations and dirty fingernails, their thoughts crawling over her body like cockroaches. Um, so again, a forceful contrast with the very pure love that were presented uh, in the scholars of Jordan, uh, who of course were by and large, not closely associated with the church uh, and represent perhaps an alternative kind of institution Uh, to the religious basis um, for power and organization. The um, argument that she gives is that she was trying to keep Lyra safe until the danger had passed. That of the tempter playing the serpent. She needs to keep Lyra from meeting that person. There's also a boy. uh, And she says that she had both of them under her control. Um, that they were safely away from Asriel, who must be looking for them and their knife, that she managed to break it, but that the boy managed to mend it. And she gives a smile here, which the president seems to interpret as her approval of this wretched boy. Um, so that uh, sense of a, a move well played that we saw uh Mrs. Coulter seemed to show will uh, appears to remain her judgment of him. uh, Her true judgment perhaps. And whether we believe that she fully had the situation under control or not, um, she certainly is not, uh, as we're told, um, telling everything that she knows. The um, Connection uh, in particular to the galavespians remains uh, unmentioned here. She does uh, praise Fra Pavel backhandedly uh, for his improvement at reading the alethiometer. Um, and she is able to tell certain things about the fortress and Lord Asriel's allies, which it seems the president's lizard demon in particular is uh, gifted at memorizing immediately all of this information. The um, lie that she slips in most blatantly is that she arrived by gyropter and that it is out in the countryside somewhere. Um, Again, the belief in the importance of the knife continues to drive the president's thinking he knows that the cliffgasts of their world call it the God Destroyer and believes that Lord Asriel will use it, or would like to, in order to destroy the authority himself. He reflects that some claim God is already dead, but that Lord Asriel must not believe this if his ambition remains to kill him. And to this, Mrs. Coulter offers a very interesting hypothesis uh, that if he's alive the question becomes where he might be. She recounts briefly the absconding of God from when he walked in the garden to when he forbade Moses to look upon him to when he was the ancient of days in the vision of Daniel and extrapolates to believe he must be now decrepit and demented, unable to die, and, most shockingly, that the proof of love for God would be to give him the gift of death. She seems to be speaking ironically, but again, it's possible this is what she really believes and, in fact, a way to interpret Lord Asriel and, by extension, Philip Pullman's own projects here in this epic story. She speaks with a calm exhilaration, and the president asks from the depths of her heresy what is her view of dust? She replies immediately that she has no view, that no one knows what it is which again is not entirely true Um, because, of course, the tempter, the serpent Mary Malone, is learning a great deal about dust, and that is also Lyra's stated aim when she steps through the window after her father. Nevertheless, she's taken to a guest room and locked in. Uh, It is shabby but clean, very Jordan-like. She finds and disables the microphones in the light and the bed frame and then has a surprise uh, seeing Lord Roke watching her, uh, but recovers quickly and asks when he would have given her the courtesy of letting her know that he was there, whether it would be before she had undressed. So again, she has some imagination of her own running ahead of her, but Lord Roke is not interested in uh, any of this, um, he would like her to calm her demon or he will disable the golden monkey, Um, merely smiling at the scorching malice of the demon's glance. We're told his spurs glitter in the dim light. And having spoken to his agent back at the uh, fortress, he passes on Lord Asriel's compliments, And wants them to, uh, wants her to let them know as soon as she finds anything out. To where um, she had appreciated Will's skillful conversation. Here it's more that she's winded, like a throw in wrestling, rather than appreciative of a good move in chess. Um, So she asks if Lord Roke is there to spy on her or to help, and of course it's both. Um, He mentions that Emberic Machinery has gone to work down in the cellars, and jokes that she seems to have galvanized the uh, the scholars and um, prelates here. And uh, rather than worrying about this for the moment, she falls into an exhausted sleep while he keeps watch. Of course, not watching while she undresses and washes and gets into bed. But uh, nevertheless, keeping a close eye on her demon uh, who patrols uh, the room until she, they fall asleep at once. And Rope, too, did not tell her everything he knows. Because we're told that uh, important information about a, uh, uh, a mass of angels or something else has been detected in the west of Lord Asriel's world, something wrapped in impenetrable fog, Um, but uh, we don't conjecture about what that might be at this stage. Lord Roke remains awake and alert while she, as she forced Lyra to, sleeps deeply here. An hour of nothing happening is passed over in the space between paragraphs, and then comes a quiet scratch and a whisper at the door. The outline of light and hiding behind a leg of a chair, Lord Roke sees uh, as the key turns and the light goes out, an intruder coming in and waiting for his eyes to adjust. We're told it's brother Louis, the young priest, crossing himself and letting a thin gleam through the crack in his fingers. He peers close to the bedside table, so his nose nearly touches the coin's ring and watch that were left there, till with a soft hiss he notices the locket on a gold chain still around Mrs. Coulter's neck. So he crosses himself again, for he will have to touch her in order to remove it. And it's unclear whether he's more worried about her waking up, or whether it's the simple act of touching the woman that he is so concerned for the state of his soul. His rabbit demon trembles here, and Roke is disgustedly thinking that she could at least help keep watch. Um, the uh, slowness and stillness is is like waxwork, and he wryly thinks that the dawn will break before the man with his shaking hands is able to uh, unclasp the locket from her neck, and he follows him out when he finally does get it, uh, hides in the corner of the president's room behind a preview, a kind of uh, devotional bit of furniture, um, and uh, observes as Fra Pavel, Dr. Cooper from Bolvanger again, the president and brother Louis look into what's contained in the locket, a, a pocket knife from the scientist helps open it, and a gleam of dark gold, the lock of Lyra's hair that we saw Mrs. Coulter take from her sleeping daughter, uh, is now in the hands of the president. He twists it around his fingers and, uh, We learn that a single hair would have been enough so that this amount is ample for whatever the purpose is. Uh, But uh, Brother Louie's job is not done yet. He has to return the locket itself. Um, And strangely, they don't try to deceive Mrs. Coulter by replacing any of the hair and taking just a single one. Um, They seem to want her to know that they uh, have um, uh, taken this thing that's most precious to her um, when she was powerless to prevent it. And as um, the president looks up and looks around, Lord Rook is forced to drop out of sight. Um, which will become important a bit later. Brother Louis wants to know why they need the hair, but the president says it would only disturb him. And uh, it becomes more important um, for Lord Roque to uh, see what these men are up to than to uh, mess with Brother Louis by waking Mrs. Coulter just as he's about to. Put the locket back. Um, the satirical notes here could possibly recall the mock epic of Pope entitled The Rape of the Lock, or The Theft of the Lock, that is. Um, but uh, obviously Pullman draws his epigraph for the chapter not from uh, Mock, mock epic poetry, but from a very serious biblical prophecy. Um, he, uh, that is, Lord Roke follows the um, conversation and um, learns that when this hair is placed in a resonating chamber, not unlike the lodestone resonator technology that his people use, perhaps, it codes the genetic information in uh, pulses and allows an aiming device to locate the origin, that is the child. Now Dr. Cooper is wary of the heresy of what he's discussing. Um, Barnard Stokes and the many worlds hypothesis is mentioned here, but the president uh, assures him they, they understand the child is in another world. And the upshot of all this is that the force of a bomb will be directed to her hair, that is her, and the child will be destroyed. Now again, the importance of hair and its destructive power might also recall the very serious epic of John Milton's Paradise Lost, where Eve's um, uh, long and beautiful hair is one of her defining characteristics. leading perhaps to her downfall uh, by her own uh, awareness of her beauty and uh, subsequent vanity. Um, The power that will be needed to trigger the chain reaction is enormous um, compared to that of conventional explosives to set off the atomic bomb, so it seems the uh, events of World War II or something like them happened in Lyra's world as well. Uh, to gather such power, um, the president has requisitioned the use of the hydroelectric plant at Saint-Jean-le-Zou. Um, they are going to go there at once because the weather changes quickly in the mountains and a storm is on the way. Um, Now, as the scientist goes down into the uh, staircase, Lord Rook springs and disables him, causing him to fall down uh, the remaining stairs, um, sort of like the man that Will killed uh, the intruder in his home. And uh, he takes the hair back to Mrs. Coulter, um, where he explains what happened gives it to her, uh, bids her destroy it at once, but she notices that um, much of it is missing and that half of it must have been curled around the president's fingers, kept back from the envelope that Lord Roke has recovered. Um, so the president clearly uh, is suspicious already uh, that demonic powers such as the Galifespians, might be at work. Uh, it's possible that he's learned this from his alethiometrist uh, or from some other source of information, perhaps simply his own devious imagination. And the demon uh, shushes them. This is the closest he gets to speaking. Um, the president barges in at once. Lord Roke hides at the top of the wardrobe. And... Uh, observes this superb piece of acting of Mrs. Coulter's as she feigns, noticing the locket and the missing hair. Um, She wonders if this is some new game to keep their guests entertained, but then uh, suggests that there might be an invisible assassin, the devil himself, who would surely feel at home in these surroundings. The president is in no mood. For jokes and games, he has her taken to the cellar and put into chains. Now, the look of understanding that passes between Mrs. Coulter and Lord Roke at the very end of the chapter is um, very close to that which seems to abide between her and her demon. Um, He is devilish in some ways, but of course also a kind of guardian angel for her. And that seems to be what the content of that mutual understanding is that he will help out in any way that he can and rescue the remaining hair before it can be used to direct the bomb and destroy Lyra. This is what we see in chapter 25, St. John Lazoo, St. John of the Water, apparently. Uh, the name of this hydroelectric plant and is opened with an epigraph from a very difficult so-called metaphysical poet John Donne, uh, which includes this phrase, a bracelet of bright hair about the bone. It also includes the phrase guardian angel, but what the poem is about, I don't know that I could say. Um, It would take some pretty careful reading, I think, to extract a straightforward uh, interpretation of of that poem. So I'm not quite sure how Pullman found it or what he means it to um, to say about this chapter. Um, The chapter is quite action-packed, quite self-contained, actually, um, and very cinematic, uh, although many of Pullman's action sequences are. Um, It bears close resemblances to both the escape from Bullfanger in some ways, as well as the uh, battle at the uh, Alamo Gulch, uh, Lee Scoresby's brave last stand, Uh, and not because of Brother Louie with his rabbit demon, who does not appear at any other point in the story. Um, As these events are somewhat tangential to the main line of the story, They really do rely on the power of Pullman's writing to carry the reader along and uh, keep us engaged here. But I think there is also some important character development for Mrs. Coulter that happens here, uh, albeit rather abruptly and perhaps not entirely convincing. Um, In the background of the entire chapter is this dramatic cataract with the plunging water that powers the generator. Um, It is a bleak wilderness. So we're calling places like Svalbard. Um, And it is the night following Mrs. Coulter's arrest. So very little time has passed. Again, like the start of the previous chapter, we are hovering above a landscape and trying to land. Now we're in a zeppelin though, with its legs of light rather than the intention craft, which Miss Coulter apparently has successfully kept hidden from her captors. Um, the uh, skill of the pilot is contrasted with the impatience of the president. Um, and all of this is observed by Lord Roke, who actually has to risk being seen in order to be close enough to hear the voices over the noise of the flight. Um, The dog demons of the soldiers are curious. The golden demon, as usual, exudes malice and uh, helps hide Lord Roke under Mrs. Coulter's coat here, acting like a couturier attending to his model. Um, this is just in time, as a soldier comes along to escort her out. She manages to seduce him enough, uh, pretending to be clumsy uh, and falling against him, to make him lower his guard and tell her about the um, handcuffs that she's wearing and where the key to them is located, held by a sergeant across the way. The narrator, or Lord Rogue perhaps, reflects they should have sent a grizzled old warrior. Um, But uh, he goes directly to the sergeant uh, with information about which key exactly it was that Miss Coulter was able to observe. He takes advantage of a light going out in the high wind to kick a spur, Uh, into the big man, begins wrestling the keys apart, but has to um, dodge hailstones, and again, these keys are, to him, uh, enormous and heavy. Uh, Although, since what we're told about the weight of the lodestone um, seems to be heavier than most keys, uh, these are perhaps A slight uh, incoherence in the in the plot here Um, but again he has to disable another soldier who's about to discover him during this struggle Um, and by that time although he gets the key out the light is turned back on he freezes like a fox in the headlights Um, attention goes to the men who are down Uh, as the soldiers wonder if they've been shot uh, and he's able to escape as a result, get back to Mrs. Coulter and uh, allow her to unlock the handcuffs. At this point they uh, separate to work independently. Um, He goes to try to disable the bomb uh, while she um, tries to get to safety although uh, we're told that she understands the problem is not getting out alive at this stage, but getting the hair from the bomb. So uh, again, that roar of the cataract in the background seems to connote an inescapable fate, uh, an onrushing power, um, and of course a fall the cable to the bomb is being brought out, and Mrs. Coulter watches as the remaining hair is placed in the resonating chamber. Uh, we're caught up on some of the story up to this point that it was impossible for Lord Roke to get at the hair in the laboratory. Um, their only hope here is to uh, stop them in the moment of trying to activate the bomb, so, heightening the tension. Uh, considerably by passing over that uh, action in between. The irony also of the silver guillotine being used here to generate um, the necessary power is not entirely clear why that should be necessary given the um, uh, ample emberic energy, that is electric power from the generating station. Um, But it seems poetically important that this device used by Mrs. Coulter is going to be used against her to sever her and her demon and destroy her daughter by the means she invented. Um, Now, it's not entirely clear uh, who is responsible for inventing the silver guillotine. It sounded before like it was Lord Asriel, or at any rate, uh, they might have collaborated on the uh, process. Um, no one seems aware either that the metal um, of the silver guillotine's edge is seemingly very much the same as that which is uh, possessed by the subtle knife and thus the uh, weapon capable of destroying the authority. The explanation for the use of the Spurs... the gala vespians is also briefly interjected here uh, that with every use their power will diminish and the venom requires a full day to regain its potency Um, but again this is sort of in passing Uh, what's most important now is to stop the cable from reaching the bomb uh, to stop the bomb from detonating or if possible to extract the remaining hair Uh, so that it cannot destroy Lyra. Um, The comparison of the cable to a grotesque skipping rope uh, is just one more recollection, perhaps, of the game's room of Bolvanger with its demon cages. Uh, She can see no principle behind all of the workings of the device, she only knows that the lock of hair is the most important thing on which everything else depends now. And once more, that cataract is brought to our attention, uh, ceaselessly rushing into the darkness. And now the action begins to ramp up. A soldier falls near the cages, uh, which is called down from the sky again very similar to Lord Azriel who is collaborating with witches kind of surprisingly uh, the witches can see through the dark uh, they are told to find whoever or whatever is helping mrs. Coulter um, she tries to tell the president that something is coming from the north but he ignores her um, Mrs. Coulter sends her demon to bring back Lord Roke who she spots lying on a patch of moss unmoving the uh, gold of its fur is quickly darkened in the rain, and meanwhile, the cable is secured. The uh, prayers and fixed mask-like face of the president recall the gloomy Spanish paintings of saints in ecstasy, of martyrdom, exactly what Lee Scoresby thought of when he saw the scrailing. um And it becomes clear that the president's intention is to sacrifice himself, since Mrs. Coulter is not available. Um, Lord Roke is brought back safely, but his leg is broken. Uh, He is more or less out of commission. So it's down to Mrs. Coulter, who is almost taken out with an arrow from the witch above. Now we're told everything happens at once. There's gunfire and smoke from tear gas. Um, the witch comes at her with a knife and she fights back her demon tearing needles from the branch. Um, the lizard demon struggles against the president who forces her into a cage and the witch's demon flies down a seagull grabbing Lord Roke. Fights back doggedly. Um, their are screams, uh, and one particular piercing scream that frightens even Mrs. Coulter's malicious demon, that of the uh, seagull falling dead with Lord Roke held in its grasp, uh, but he too uh, is dead with his spurs in the neck of the witch. Um, I suppose it's not the seagull that falls, then it's it's the witch, isn't it? The seagull would have disappeared. Uh <laughs> the something coming is again the last words of the witch. But uh this makes no sense to Mrs. Coulter. She cannot make sense of anything that's happening. Only here's the demon of the president crying for pity. Um She can find nothing steady. Even the black rocks of the mountain seem to be moving in um, the lights swaying in the wind. Um, Above the fighting, uh, she sees the mask of grim exultation on the president's face, a flash of white, a cloud of gold, whether the hair or her demon's own fur it's impossible to tell her hands are convulsed to the mesh cage which has felt that powerful shock go through it Um, and this is after all of her struggle uh, after her demon trying to take the hair out and despite the tear gas a sudden terrible clarity to see the tiniest details comes over Mrs. Coulter's vision, and she sees the one thing that matters, a single dark gold hair. And as the two wires come together and the blade shoots down, severing the president from his demon, the bomb seemingly goes off. The narration begins to come apart here as well. Something exploded somewhere, we're told, in perhaps the weakest and vaguest sentence in the entire series. Uh, The melodrama is laid on very hard here in the deus ex machina of Lord Asriel's arrival, his hands lifting up Mrs. Coulter and another intention craft behind him. It's unclear whether the bomb has gone off as intended or or if the explosion was caused by something else. Uh, In what sense they would even be able to feel the explosion if it's taking place in another world is not clear. Um, And in her pain-dazed eyes, she sees men like ants and the cord like a snake connected to the only purposeful thing in the entire welter of activity, that crumpled body of the president representing the success of his intention to martyr himself. Now, Lord Asriel's first question is about Lord Roke, but when he learns that he's dead, uh, he immediately Uh, triggers a flamethrower weapon from the intention craft. The battle becomes a single rose of white fire. Um, This kind of flowery, fiery imagery is constantly associated with the um, conclusions of battles. Um, Thinking of the Alamo Gulch scene, but also the last stand of the bears, as Lyra is escaping to follow Lord Asriel. Um, That sort of celestial rose at the end of Dante's paradise uh, is also perhaps in the background here. But they are unharmed in the middle of all this heat and destruction. The whole scene tumbles in a welter fire plunged into white water and whirled away into the dark. Um, Some of the strongest and most evocative writing, perhaps, in the entire series there. As the chapter concludes, they speed back to the north. Uh, Mrs. Coulter watches the scene behind her through tear-filled gaze as it becomes a vertical line of fire and then nothing at all. The conclusion here is, and perhaps very important for Mrs. Coulter's development, um, but rather ambiguous and left to the imagination of the reader uh, and to our judgment as to how to take these events. Uh, Her experience in these chapters is some of the closest that were brought to her own uh, internal perspective. And yet there is really very little uh, retrospection on her part um, as these chapters are dominated by uh, action. Um, So I think we're left in a bit of suspense, not just about whether the bomb has in fact destroyed Lyra although I don't think many readers could seriously believe that it happened. Um, But also, we're in suspense about Mrs. Coulter's character, her intentions, and what will happen between her and Lord Asriel. Um, He's presented as a kind of savior figure here, and rather larger than life. Um, So in that way, too, Mrs. Coulter is closely suggested to be similar to her daughter. Um, The daughter uh, of course has grown immensely over the course of the series and it remains to be seen whether the mother does too. So thank you again for listening. We'll revisit Lyra in the world of the dead next time.